The only purpose of the Talking Space podcast is to educate and to inform. The views expressed in this program are the opinions, experiences, and conclusions of the guests. They do not represent the official policy or position of the Space Tweep Society as a whole, NASA, any other space agency, company, contractor, or affiliate. We choose to go to the moon. of the Talking Space Podcast. I am Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me on lucky episode number 213 is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. Good evening, Sawyer. Glad to be here. Glad you're here with us as well. Mark Raderman, welcome, Mark. And do you believe in bad luck or good luck? No, I'll just reverse the numbers. It's episode 312. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you think, and welcome as well, Gina Hurley. Hey, Sawyer. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Let's get right into our first topic. We have a go for main start. Three engines up and ready. Three, two, one, zero. Booster ignition and liftoff of Discovery. Blazing a trail to scientific discoveries aboard Space Station. And that is that Space Shuttle Discovery successfully launched on April 5th where its launch is scheduled for 6.21 a.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. The goal and mission of STS-131, which is the mission, is to bring up Leonardo, which is considered a multi-purpose logistics module, or MPLM, which will be bringing very important supplies and other research-required materials to the International Space Station, including... A freezer called the Minus 80 Degree Laboratory Freezer for ISS, or MELFI. The Window Orbital Research Facility, or WARF. And the Muscle Atrophy Resistive Exercise Machine called MARES. So, STS-131. There's only a few left after this. Can you believe it? Yeah, this is, uh, this is going to be the... There's only three left after this one. Uh, this is an interesting flight too, in that there's going to be a lot of uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, women on, on this thing for the first time. I think there's going to be what uh, one, two, three women eight. out of seven. Yeah, and we have um, don't forget we've got um, somebody on the ISS that uh, uh, as well, uh, Tracy Caldwell Dyson, that uh, docked just uh, this morning, Easter Sunday morning. Um, to the uh, to the ISS, so we're going to have four four women on board. So this is going to be, I think that's a that's a pretty pretty good uh, milestone on on board ISS. And how many people altogether? I think there's six individuals now on on the International Space Station. Five. Um, okay, there are five, and we are going to have a crew of uh, seven folks uh, going up uh, on Discovery. So this is this is really going to be uh, one heck of a party up there, you know. This is going to be akin to a party, you know. This is going to be akin to a group of party crashers coming over, but uh, I think it will be a, a good flight. Um, we've we've got three EVAs planned, um, uh, which I believe are being conducted by um, Clay Anderson and uh, Rick uh, Mester. Uh, 
Mistraccio. I'm my thank you, sir. I'm sorry for mispronouncing the gentleman's name. So, and those activities will be surrounding a uh, uh, an EVA to replace uh, an ammonia tank. Ammonia is used for uh, for cooling on board on board the station. Um, it's uh, used to, uh, I believe, it's removed used to remove yeah removed to use excess heat. Um, for, and uh, uh, for the radiators located outside, they are going to go ahead and uh, retrieve a seed experiment outside uh, Kibo. Uh, on EVA one, and then uh, set up for installation of the new ammonia tank um, for EVA two. And I believe also they're going to be replacing uh, a debris shield on the on the Quest airlock, um, and um, the uh, uh, for EVA three, it will just be uh, bringing the uh, old ammonia tank back home. Um, I understand too on board the MPLM, there's uh, also a bedroom that's going to be put into. Uh, uh, the Harmony node, uh, so that'll be a, a new uh, a new crew quarters there. So it's going to be a, a, a really really packed flight. Uh, it'll be busy, and uh, it should be uh, very exciting to uh, to watch from uh, this end. By the way, a couple of notes regarding this flight, just so everyone knows, this will be the third mission only of the space shuttle to carry three female astronauts. The other two missions were STS-40 and 96. What you were saying before, this will be the first time, and most likely it seems, unfortunately, the only time that four women will be in space at one time. This is the first time ever that two Japanese astronauts, both Naoko Yamazaki and Suichi Noguchi, will have been in space together from, <clears throat> ja- from Japan. This will be the final space shuttle mission that contains one or more rookie astronauts. Everything else will be all veteran crews. And, as sad as it is, this will be the final mission with a seven-person crew. Yeah, this will also be the next-to-last flight for the shuttle Discovery itself. And uh, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've got NASA television on now, and I'm looking, looking at the birds sitting there, and I'm thinking, you know, this thing is one mission away from becoming a museum piece. Um, Erica Vick made the same uh, observation on Twitter a while back ago, and, I was I was looking at this and I'm like you know it's funny I was thinking the same darn thing. I can't believe that the, that, that we're coming to the close of the program. Sad, but it unfortunately had to happen sooner or later. What's what's breaking my heart a little bit more? If you if you look on Wikipedia uh, real quick, um, you'll look at STS 134, and uh, what breaks my heart a little bit is if you look at uh, where it says next flight, it says nothing planned. So that, that's a stark reminder about the, the state of affairs currently. The interesting thing um, about the MPLM, or the Multipurpose Logistics Module, that's sitting inside uh, uh, Discovery right now, is that on um, a later flight, I believe it is going to become a permanent home. Um, it will be permanently berthed to the, uh, to the International Space Station as its own little module. And uh, Nancy Atkinson, uh, at, on, uh, I believe it was Universe Today, Wrote an interesting thing. She said she called the she called Leonardo sort of man cave, which I thought was an interesting analogy. It's not really. I just said no, no, no. It's, I don't think it's really a man cave. It's going to be more of a, a, a Zen garden because uh, it'll be a very very quiet little module where uh, the astronauts can just kind of sort of get away from it all, if you will. Um, you know, because it won't have a lot of pumps or anything like that on, in there, and won't be making a lot of noise in there. So. Uh, I think it'll be a more of a respite for uh, for the crews to just kind of sort of get a, get away from it all for a little while and just sort of hang out. So 
it uh, Leonardo will, will have a have a good home on board the International Space Station. Okay, then moving along, as we're talking about getting out of the Earth, let's move to a completely different planet. How about Mars? Well, unfortunately, on Mars, Spirit has officially gone into its winter sleep. In other words, they cannot get in contact with Spirit anymore. Spirit, as you may remember, was the rover which got stuck on top of a rock and was officially declared a stationary science laboratory rather than a rover, which it was for the last six years. So at this point, we're hoping that as Martian winter disappears, that Spirit will once again wake up. However, Spirit may be in her final resting place. What do you think? Do you think that after six years, Spirit doesn't have any more Spirit left in her? Well, we'll soon see. Um, <clears throat> spirit uh, has done some yeoman's work up there on Mars. I mean, uh, both rovers arrived in, in 2003. Um, <clears throat> however, uh, we're not too sure whether whether or not she's actually going to be reactivated. She, Troy may become her final resting place. Um, we'll have to wait and see how she weathers the Martian winter and see if uh, she can she can be reactivated. Hopefully she will, because uh, there's still some really good science that Spirit can execute while she's sitting there. Agreed. Do you think she'll wake up, though? I mean, she was only supposed to last a total of 90 days, and unfortunately where she got stuck, she was in a position which was unfavorable for her winter survival because it was facing away from the sun where they wanted. But what does everyone think? Do you think that Spirit is stuck or that... She may still have some spirit left in her when she wakes up. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. Um, I, we haven't heard from Morris Phoenix lately. I know we, we tried, and uh, uh, we, we did not hear, hear from her, so I guess uh, we can safely say that Mars Phoenix is a, is a derelict. Uh, whether, whether or not um, spirit will be in the same shape, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, but um, I don't know. The odds are against her. Mark, what do you think? Do you think that Spirit is going to make it through or not? I really wish I had uh, some detailed knowledge of what's going on in terms of the, uh, you know, the amount of power that it takes to keep it safely in hibernate mode versus uh, where things get shaky. Uh, you know, they said this would probably happen, and it did. So, you know, hopefully uh, the margins will be good, and uh, and they'll have communications back when power levels come up. But hard to say. Cold is cold, and you got a lot of stuff that's got a lot of uh, exposure to it. We'll have to wait and see. Gina, what do you think? Well, it doesn't seem to me like they expected much more out of Spirit um, after May 210 anyways. There was... Um this lithium-ion batteries, whatever's powering spirit after it charges from the weak solar energy it receives on Mars, or weaker than comparison to Earth, probably were only good for a few more charges, and I don't think they much more um, out of spirit this year anyway, so I don't know. I I wouldn't put a lot of expect high expectations on its return into active duty, but it seems like they may be able to get some more science out of Spirit in its current location. So I, I guess that would be what I'd hope for. Okay. What do you guys think? You can send us your thoughts at a couple of places. You can email it to us at TalkingSpaceOnline at gmail.com. You can send it to us on Twitter. Our Twitter name is at TalkingSpace. Or you could become a fan of us on Facebook. And once there, you can also leave us a comment with your thoughts of what you think Spirit will do. Okay, 
now let's head back to Earth. And when I mean Earth, we mean all the way down to Earth on the ground. Because with all of the issues going on regarding its possible sudden accelerations, Toyota has gone to an unlikely source to see if they can figure out exactly what's going on. That unlikely source is NASA. That's right. It may not be rocket science, but Toyota is currently asking help from NASA to see if they can figure out what exactly is going on with these sudden acceleration reports that they have been getting. What's happened is that the White House has asked um, NASA to, to go ahead and investigate. Toyota's claim is that uh, cosmic rays may be affecting the electronics. Now, it's a reach, but okay. Um, do I think this is this is something that NASA's uniquely to, designed to do? Yeah, I guess, but is it is it a realm that NASA should really, really be playing with? I don't know. To me, it, it, it's kind of sort of like, you know, if you'll forgive me, Mark, it's kind of sort of like the FAA investigating a train wreck. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, is it, who knows? Maybe NASA can find out why these things are accelerating. Um, you know, maybe their, their engineers can take a look at this. But um, is it something that, that NASA really, really should be getting involved with? I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, the jury's still out on that in, in my head. But who knows? Maybe, maybe they can offer Toyota some sort of solution to, uh, to the problem. Um, I think that NASA should try to see if they can offer a solution and furthermore go out with that to the American public and show them what sort of value they can add to society. I mean, again, I think um, NASA has not beat the drum enough in terms of um, what it's added to society, what people today in the Western Hemisphere or developed countries take for granted in terms of technology. And if they were to be able to offer a solution to something like this, you know, um, I think it's just a value add to NASA's PR campaign in, in America that may help rally some more support for the organization. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, one of the news stories that I read, they they mentioned the NASA personnel, and it says they've tapped nine experts to come in and answer questions. And, you know, one advantage to this is that uh, these people are going to be used to looking at systems, software, mechanical, electrical, a whole combination of things that uh, sometimes an outside perspective uh, will help in, in finding some some possible causes or even, uh, you know, they may find some things that are absolutely not related to any problem that but could improve Toyota's uh, uh, engineering. So I think this will benefit Toyota. Got to wonder if it's, uh, you know, we, I tend to think of NASA as being, oh, cosmic rays. Yeah, okay. I guess I could blame that on anything that uh, that goes wrong for me. But uh, I think taking it seriously, they're going to some really sharp scientists and experts and bringing them in. Good idea. One brief note before we continue on is we would like to welcome a new space agency to the market. And that would be the United Kingdom now has their own space agency. So welcome, UK, to space. Now, Gina, I believe you have an interesting story about some microsat satellites of some sort. Can you please elaborate on that? Yeah, that was a good segue because a university in the UK, I believe um, located in Surrey, has developed a cube-sail satellite, which is a satellite that's um, 
just a couple of feet in diameter um, that has a solar sail on it. And the idea is it would be launched to uh, clean up some space debris, which is becoming a huge problem for um, space travel. I mean, it's, any piece of space debris is a risk at any time to a space shuttle or the, the station, um, other uh, manned spacecraft that could be in orbit. There's so much of it up there, and primarily thanks to the United States, Russia, and China. But um, this is designed, or this nanosatellite called the Cube Sail, is designed to attach itself to a dysfunctioning satellite in space and use solar pressure to basically deorbit burn um, a dysfunctioning satellite. So the interesting um, the the university is trying to have these, I guess, in production and in space, right, launching in 2013, trying to clean up some of the space junk, which is, I, know, it's, I guess, space junk or the, the quantity of it grows by the rate of 5% a year. And exponentially, that really starts to add up. So it be interesting to see if this can do it. I mean, it's a small satellite, and it might be a very quick and easy fix to go up there, grab a few, and start to deorbit them. But there's still lots of tiny pieces of space debris, and I don't think they'll ever have a solution to deal with that. What do you guys think? Well, it's a step in the right direction. Um, there's just so much garbage up there right now. Everything from uh, you know spent boosters to derelict satellites to uh, uh, you know paint flakes that have you know chipped off and paint flake going at about 17,000 miles miles an hour, if it hits your window, um, it can really ruin your whole day. So the less debris up there we have, the better. So this is a step in the right direction, but solving the, the debris problem up there in general, um, man, that, that is going to be a Herculean task. But indeed, I think this is, this is a step in the right direction. I wonder if it's the debris that this um, cube satellite can eradicate is really the problem. This stuff is probably big enough. We probably know where it is. Probably, like you said, it's probably the tiny, smaller pieces that can puncture an astronaut's spacesuit during an EVA that, I mean, it's too small to track. You probably can't see it coming at you. That may be the bigger concern, but I guess, as you said, it is a step in the right direction to try and get some of it cleaned up. Yeah, I, I mean, I think think what we should be really doing is uh, you know, what goes up must come down, and 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 we should be thinking for future spacecraft um, to be bringing that down in a in a controlled manner and you know, letting it burn up in the atmosphere rather than than just sort of leaving it out there. And it's you know you want to talk about a menace to navigation. Wow, uh, there I, I forget how many. Um, how many pieces and how many how much stuff is really really being tracked right now? I don't don't recall the number, but it is a, a staggering amount of, of equipment, of derelict equipment, and spent boosters and things like that that are just sort of wandering around up there. And we really really have to clean that up because again, if we're going to have a permanently orbiting uh, facility like the International Space Station, it's, it's at risk. I mean, we've already had uh, um, several instances where the ISS has had to dodge. Uh, debris coming its way, and so so obviously it, it is a problem, and um, it, it it's good to see that folks are are really really taking the problem seriously. And again, I think this is a this is a step in the right direction to trying to solve that problem. 
I agree. I thought there were rumors a while back that Japan was trying to do the same thing. And by a while back, I mean like a couple of years ago. I'm not sure if that was right. But I know Japan was originally trying to do this. And if they can do it, I think this is, like you just said, definitely a step in the right direction. I just want to add that the cube sail design comes from the University of Surrey in Guildford, United Kingdom. And it is being funded by this group, EADS Astrium, which is the biggest European aerospace company. All right, great. Thank you. Now, I believe we have one more story left. Am I right, Mark? Being the uh, Florida component of our delegation here of four regulars, um, I saw a story that, uh, given credit, came from space politics, but uh, I ended up with the Miami Herald and, you know, where we've been talking about President Obama coming to the Space Coast to talk about uh, the future of uh, the U.S.'s space program. Um, you know, that's kind of gives you a feeling of something good and something bad all at the same time. It's good news, bad news, and you know, probably nobody will be 100% pleased with how it all comes out, but lo and behold, he's got a few other things on the agenda that day, and uh, one of them is a Democratic National Committee fundraiser in Miami hosted by Gloria Estefan and Emilio, her husband, and also, um, oh, and incidentally, the uh, the fundraiser is $30,400 a couple, and uh, it's the Estefan's first political fundraiser. And uh, the other event is at the Adrienne Arst Center for the Performing Arts in downtown Miami. And it's a little more economical if anybody wanted to go. Tickets that start at $250 and uh, $1,250. So um, the president's going to have a busy day. It sure be nice to have it devoted to space and NASA and our concerns, but uh, apparently the president is a popular man and uh, he'll have to do the best he can all through the day. Yeah, Mark, I have to admit, admit there, um, when I, I hear that this thing was initially billed as a space summit, which means to me that, you know, this is going to be, you know, you know at least an all-day thing. And, um, you know, folks, were, you know, where we're, we're actually the future of our program would really, really be mapped out and really discussed in earnest. And it, 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 to me, this is sort of like, well, all right, we'll kind of fit this in somehow and we'll fit that in somehow. I mean, I realize that the president's a busy man and, and he's got to go ahead and do the, you know, do the fundraising thing. But, you know, I think the, the future of our space program kind of deserves an entire day. Uh, to try to sort out and, and to try to understand what the issues really, really are. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, the, now, mind you, President Obama is, is going into the lion's den. Um, so he's got to be coming equipped with something. So it should be very, very interesting to see what he comes equipped with. But I, I don't know. I, I just kind of think that, that um, if, if folks were really, really serious about trying to solve solve the problems, um, they would probably devote at least an entire working day at it and not you know, scatter the whole thing around. Here's another tidbit just for perspective. Uh, you know, we think of the, the space industry as first, but in the Miami Herald article, of course, Gloria Stefan's a local uh, celebrity there, but... Uh, and, of course, I guess from that, they get the uh, top billing in the in the headline that they're going to be hosting the president 
And then it says the president will also visit the Space Coast. And in the article, it gets down to the uh, the last two sentences of the article where they even mention anything about his uh, visit to the Space Coast. So, you know, it's all depends on where you are. We talked about that one other time. Yeah, I guess. But it's I don't know. Um, I, I would I would really, really think that that because of the problems, because of the magnitude of the uh, of the issue that, uh, you know, it, it kind of deserves the entire day and not. But again, that's just me. Not just a coffee break. Bring your own Starbucks. Exactly. Exactly. I believe that he should definitely devote one day to it entirely, you know, one trip. But then again, he is the president. And I mean, there's only a certain number of places that he can be at one time. There's only a certain amount of time in which he can leave the White House to meet with certain groups of people and et cetera. But I just wish he would be able to devote more time towards space exploration I mean, this just goes to show how really devoted he is to it if he's not even spending his entire trip on it, if it's just, you know, like a little brief one of three stopover kind of things. I wish that the space policy was somehow intertwined with the job plan that the Obama administration is pushing, because there's so many jobs at stake. That would be a great policy to marry. Gina, I have to... I have to really, really agree with you there. I mean, it, it, it dovetails quite nicely, and uh, it, it actually should be incorporated into that. Um, so, who knows? Maybe these are the high-tech jobs that you know these, these people are gonna like. We've we've said it a hundred times. They're all gonna have to walk away from NASA, which is a tragedy. They have to find other jobs, and maybe aviation or avionics or some similar field or maybe not and you know when we have a exploration program ready to go again these people who are experienced and seasoned probably won't all be able to return because their lives will have evolved in different places families kids in school whatever they're not just going to be able to pick up and leave and run back to houston or florida or wherever they were based now it's too bad because this is the workforce that we all know that President Obama wants to develop, and he's got it all trained. So it's unfortunate if we let them walk out of there. Yeah, Gina. Again, I, I have to agree with you there completely. We're going to lose this workforce if we don't if we don't do act and act now, and it will be extraordinarily difficult to go ahead and and bring back. Um, I mean. We've got to hang on to it. I mean, it, it, it is it is a it's it's one of the, it's a national treasure, and uh, I can't think of a better way of, of hanging on to it than trying to incorporate this problem into the jobs bill and hopefully you know, keep that keep our fingers crossed and hopefully hopefully something good will come out of it. It also doesn't help current um, college age students right now that are considering engineering degrees and engineering careers to feel that, um, you know, this vacuum of engineering jobs is going to not be there when they get out of school. and Or, and not that they necessarily were interested in working for the space agency, but now they realize, well, all of those engineers are going to be competing for the jobs that I normally would have been interested in. So, you know what, I'm going to go into finance or law or something else. And it's too bad when the best and brightest are saying goodbye to science and technology. We saw so many lawyers, finance people, financial analysts. I mean, 
uh, we just we we just don't need. I don't know. Maybe someone in the banking industry would agree, disagree with me, but I just how many more do we need? Yeah, again, Gina, that's that was my my going joke with uh, my nephews and and my niece. I've, I'm kind of inter- introducing them all to, to to model rocketry and trying to sort of get them enthusiastic about the whole thing. And um, you know, my going joke is you know to try to go ahead and keep them out of law school, which I kind of ribbed my sister, who's an attorney. Um, but uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, you're trying to build the next generation. Of scientists that that are going and, and engineers that are going to go ahead and build the next generation space vehicle, and right. you know you're trying to keep keep them interested. And I'm not just talking about the, the you know the current crop of 10 and 11, 12 year olds. Um, I'm talking about the 20 and 30, 20, 25 somethings that are coming out of uh, of uh, you know grad school with uh, you know masters in uh, aeronautical engineering and things like that. What what are you going to do for them? And, you know, come on. Yeah, it's not like you can um, graduate with an engineering degree and just open your own engineering firm. You have to have years of experience in to become a professional engineer. You know, I, you have to um, you have to have a job structure in place. These people cannot become experts in the field without some sort of firm to walk into. This isn't about becoming a dentist and putting a shingle outside your house and getting a dentist chair and you're in business. It's, you've got to be part of something larger to be able to be an engineer. Exactly. And and the whole idea, too, is, well, we keep on hearing this mantra that the United States has to be number one in math and science and we have to be, you know, at the forefront of all these higher technologies. Okay, fine. But, but to you know, we have to be number one in math and science. To what end? Are we going to have a lot of educated, you know, cashiers at Target? I mean, you know, come on. Um, we have to go ahead and, and set up an economy that's going to go ahead and, and accept all, all these scientists and all these engineers and, and give them something to strive for. And I can't think of anything better um, to go ahead and get a, a high technologist involved in than what I'm, I'm looking at right now on my television. I'm looking at... Uh, Discovery sitting there on uh, pad 39A. I mean, you talk about being a part of something bigger than yourself. Wow. Well, sure. I mean, there's certainly the bio industry, and there's certainly green engineer, green, you know, just a, a green industry or clean energy. I mean, there's so many worthwhile causes to take science and engineering in that direction, but there's so many jobs at stake right now. It really, really needs to be looked at from that perspective. I mean, we're saving all these other jobs in other industries that, uh, you know, they're just not as specialized and as well trained. I think it's it is it's tragic if they if they don't have something to go to or some way to transition. So it's going to be a huge workforce development problem in plenty of places like Texas or Florida and California. I'm sure. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely agreed with you. And I don't, I don't think that the workforce development agencies are really being realistic about how they're going to accommodate these people and retrain them to engineer widgets. Well, again, I'm thinking about the, the after Apollo, you know, Grumman tried their hand at, uh, in bu- at buses, and we all know how that worked. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult to, you know, 
try to you know go from building lunar modules to building you know uh, commuter buses. So um, you know we'll just have to see how how this all plays out. But uh, indeed, I think think we've really really got to go ahead and rethink this whole thing. And I'd also be interested to know what the heck the Department of Labor is doing to plan for this. Or if they've even got it on their radar screen yet, maybe it's something I should look up on their website. Yeah, agreed with you, Gina. I mean, I don't know. I doubt it is. I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest. I don't. I haven't heard of anything. They're about probably it. on hold, not knowing what Congress is going to do, which is cutting into the amount of time that perhaps they could try to plan something. Yeah. Well, maybe, yeah. maybe to help a lot of the mid-level workers land on their feet, but I don't know. You know, the whole thing is just sort of stay tuned. So we'll just have to see how it all works. Right. Well, workforce development is kind of a it's 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 a constantly evolving area. I mean, each workforce investment area in the several per state, they get a, a budget from the Department of Labor, and they are to spend it as they see fit to help the trainers help the workforce in their quote unquote region. So it's up to them to see. Um, you know, to decide how to spend the funds or put training classes in place. But if a whole region is wiped out, I don't know how really, how that's going to be effective. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Brevard County is is one of those regions that could theoretically be absolutely just devastated by this whole thing. So Absolutely. And it's, and it's not just the um, employees at NASA. If you saw this week in space a few episodes ago, um, David Waters went into a diner, and the diner employs 20 people, and they pretty much have figured out that they'll probably employ about six after the settle program closes or closes down. So, I mean, it's the whole region. It's not just the engineers and the technicians. Yeah. It's the whole economy there. Exactly, Jane. I mean, I mean, there's a restaurant that uh, Mark. I'm. I remember uh, going with you guys at uh, STS 129 and. Sawyer, I think you may have uh, uh, seen it when you were down there. Uh, Dixie Crossroads, an amazing restaurant, and uh, they are going to feel the pain when when the program ends. Yeah, by the way, Mark and I actually ate down there, and it's a great place. And unfortunately, you're right. Once That was the thing. We were there that night, and we were trying to meet up with a group of people. There was about four different groups all there just related to NASA, and there were probably even more that were going there to see the launch itself. So it's those small businesses, like you're saying, that are going to get hurt the most, and that's the worst part about it. Yeah, in fact, uh, this might be actually be a good lead into uh, something that we're we're going to try to do. Um, I know we I've been sort of in contact with the folks that uh, that run the uh, the Safe Space website, and these are the folks that are sort of behind a a rally coming up, I believe, next week. Um, and uh, we we're going to try to see if we can get to talk to them for a little bit. Uh, before the rally and uh, see what what the safe space is all about. And there are several sponsors on their site, and Dixie Crossroads is one of them. We're one of them, and uh, it, it it should be uh, it, it should be a very lively discussion to try to see see if we if we can arrange it. It should be an extraordinarily lively discussion. Then I believe with that we can wrap everything up. So once again, thanks to everybody for joining us. Thank you very much, Gene McCulka. I've had so much fun here, sir. Thank you so much. Not a problem. Thank you very much as well, Gina Hurley. You are very welcome, sir. And thank you very much, Mark Ratterman. 
Pleasure as always. Sorry for working with you. Great to work with everybody as well. And thank you once again, everybody, for listening to the Talking Space podcast. And as always, first off, go Discovery. Second off, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are. Thank you.